Good morning. See, and I had our granddaughter, Wren, with us this weekend. Our daughter and son-in-law are celebrating their seventh wedding anniversary. Uh, they were married seven years yesterday, and I remember that wedding. It was in a camp in the middle of nowhere, uh, Camp Dakota, in, uh, near Harding University. And uh, some of you might remember that wedding was right in the middle of Celia's cancer diagnosis treatments. Uh, so we were doing our best just to keep that wedding simple and contained and doable, which never happens. <laughs> if you've ever planned a wedding, you know how challenging that can be. But can you imagine the challenge of unplanning a wedding? It'd feel like your world was falling apart, not the way you expected it to go. We're looking at the story of Jesus being born from Matthew chapter 1. I want to encourage you to open your Bibles there. We're going to be pick up where we left off last week. We're in verse 18. It's the story of Jesus' birth. According to Matthew, if you're a guest with us today, if you look on the back of your bulletin, there's an outline. You can follow along with that as well. That may help you. Jesus coming to the world was unexpected in so many ways. Now, of course, the people of God have been expected the coming of the Messiah, but when he came, it was not the way they expected it. But at just the right time, God brought it all about. Now, here's the reality. We have the benefit of hindsight. We know all the details about Jesus' birth, his life, his death, and everything in between because we've got four Gospels that tell us all of these things. So it seems obvious to us that all this happened the way it happened. But can we go back in time for our study today to that culture, to these key people, and see how this birth was so unexpected? Because lest we think uh, less of them, to be fair, sometimes we miss things also. We think we're paying attention, and we're not. We think we're listening, but we don't hear. We think we understand, we get it, but we don't. It is right there in front of us, and we miss it. Have you seen the Pier 1 commercials they've got out? There's one that's kind of my favorite lately. It shows this couple trying to announce their pregnancy, and the woman totally misses it. Uh, I've got a clip. Let's see if we can follow along. We have some big news. No. Yeah. No. Yes. Yeah. Oh, yeah. no. You got this from Pier One. And this. Get 20% off dining furniture and tabletop now at Pier One. Congratulations on these. I like that. Have you seen that one before? They've got another one where they're sitting at a dinner table and, and uh, the man has bought the woman a new car and she picks up the napkin and goes, Look at this. He goes, I got you a car with the keys. We think we see, we think we know, and we miss it. But what do you do when you're expecting good news and it becomes bad news? Last week, we talked about verses 1 through 17, the genealogy of Jesus, how God came into flesh to work out a plan to bring in a kingdom that leaves no one out. Today, I want to see how this unexpected birth turned bad news into good news. 
Again, today we're having our small group Bible studies, and so if you're not part of a group, you can join the group in the chapel or talk to any one of us. You can come to ours as well. But we're going to start our study in verse 18. It's on the screen, but you may want to read out of your own Bible as well. Now, the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When the mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. So I want to notice here what we learn from Matthew. And first is this, Joseph was a good man. Matthew tells us that. Now, let's go back in time again, as I mentioned earlier, and think what life would have been like for Joseph at this time. With the little bit of information that we have here from Matthew, we can see what's going on with him. For Joseph, it was the best of times. In verse 18, it says he was betrothed to Mary. Now, we don't use that word today. We say we're engaged to be married. Not exactly the same word or term, but it's very similar. To the Jews, their weddings were arranged by family, but it was still a joyous occasion, something they looked forward to. But a betrothal was binding. The couple didn't live together. They didn't have sexual relations. But legally, they were as good as married. And it's fair to say for Joseph, these are happy times. These are exciting times. This is the time where every young boy would look forward to. And for the groom, he would have a year to make sure that he was ready to support his wife. So this speaks of his status. Evidently, his carpentry business, his skill, his responsibility, he had proven himself that he was able to make this choice. So he was waiting to marry this woman. And it was only a matter of time until the big day would come. And Matthew also tells us he was a just man. That's an important detail. He was a just man. The translation there really just means righteous. Different versions say faithful to the law or a good man or a man who always did what was right. So Matthew helps us to know this is the kind of man every father would like their daughter to marry. He was a just man. The bad things can happen to good people. And the best of times can become the worst of times. In fact, that's what he writes in verse 18. She was found to be with child. So this good man then received some bad news. Some children were doing their best in the Christmas program. Little boy was in the role of Joseph, and he goes up to the innkeeper, and he says his line, we need a place to stay. The innkeeper says no. Joseph said, we've come very far. We're very tired. The innkeeper says no. Well, my wife is very pregnant. We're about to have a baby. And the little innkeeper went off script and said, well, that's not my fault. Well, little Joseph also went off script and says, well, actually, it's not my fault either. <laughs> One reason the betrothal lasts a year was to prove the purity of the bride. Last week, we talked about how the genealogy, just knowing that the family record was very important to the Jews because to them, they wanted to know who was your father. That was key for them. So this one-year period would be a way to prove to all that any child she would bear would be from the husband that she was married. Now, Luke's gospel tells us that after the angel appeared to Mary, it says, in those days, she went with haste to go see her cousin Elizabeth. Do you remember that? Elizabeth was already six months pregnant, 
And she stayed there for three months. Now, we don't know from any of the gospel that Mary tried to explain what happened to Joseph. They don't tell us that. Maybe it didn't happen. But you could understand that because who would have believed her story? And so this good man, Joseph, assumed Mary had done wrong. He didn't want to publicly disgrace her, but he could have. And it would save his own honor and his own name and his own reputation. But he decided to divorce her quietly. That's when Joseph received the message from the Lord in the dream. And the message that led to a decision that everybody had to be thinking was the wrong choice. A bad decision. So this good man received some bad news and made a difficult choice. Look at verse 20. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All of this took place to fulfill what the Lord has spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke from his sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but he knew her not until she had given birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. Here's what we don't know. What we don't know is what Matthew's, I mean, what uh, Joseph's parents told him to do. We don't know what the people down at the synagogue told him to do. We don't know what, what Joseph's peers were telling him to do. What were his buddies saying? Joseph received some bad news, and he had to make a decision. But by Mary and Mary... The baby gained legal status as Joseph's son. But in making that choice, Joseph risked losing his reputation, his goodwill in the community, his image as a righteous man. I can't help but think that he possibly lost some future business. And not to be crass, but he was about to get married. And for a brief time... He lost the privilege of having sex with his wife. This was not a one-time emotional surrender on Joseph's part. In fact, it became the beginning of a lifestyle of dying to self, of living for others, of putting others first. Keep reading in the next chapter, and you know the story. The angel appeared again and said, you've got to go to Egypt. And then the angel appeared again and said, you've got to go back home. And Joseph, every time, immediately obeys. He even named the boy Jesus. Now, we would read that and go, well, of course he did. That's what he was told to do. But again, back in that culture and that day, it was expected for the father to be able to name his firstborn son after himself. Everybody was expecting that. But Joseph didn't do that. By naming him Jesus, he was acknowledging the truth. That this was no ordinary birth. This truly was not his biological son. So why would such a good man make what everybody thought was a bad move, a bad decision? 
When the Hunger Games came out several years ago, according to Amazon, you know, Kindle allows you to highlight lines or, or, or parts of a book that you're reading. The most underlined book of that year, almost twice as many as every other underlined book in all of Amazon Kindle was this. Because sometimes things happen to people and they're not equipped to deal with them. Joseph was able to deal with unexpected news, unexpected events. And he was about to understand, he came to understand how this bad news became good news. The angel spoke to Joseph, and even though it was not what he was expecting, not what he was planning for, he had to give everything up, if you will, Joseph came to understand, number one, God for us is good news. God for us is good news. Matthew 1, 21, she will bear a son, and she shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. Jesus' name is his mission. That's what Jesus means. Jesus was born to do something for us because we have a sin problem, and we need help. You know, as we get older, we kind of outgrow the sweet joys of Christmas, and it's our children and grandchildren and other children that just kind of help us to see it through their eyes, and we appreciate that. I just love when little Wren came in and she saw our Christmas tree. And I took a picture of her just looking at the tree and, and I sent it to Marcy. And of course, you know, when you're looking at the tree, your face just, is just glowing. And, and I think Marcy's reply was, isn't that just magical? And it really is, isn't it? You've done that. You just, when you see it through the eyes of a child, it just, it just brings back all that's good. In Chicken Soup for the Soul, Jack Canfield tells about a mother named Kayla shopping with a three-year-old daughter when Kayla found what she thought could be a great last-minute stocking stuffer, it was a coloring book. So when little Avery wasn't looking, mom grabbed the, stock, uh, the coloring book and shoved it behind some groceries in the cart. Of course, Avery saw it. Of course she did. And so she says, what is that? What is that? So mom tried to change the subject and talk about other gifts she was giving and other things going on, but Avery was not deterred. Mom, what is it? What is it? So finally, the mom just came clean. I said, well, it's a coloring book that I was going to give you for Christmas. And the little three-year-old Avery said this, almost stunned her mom. But mommy, I already have lots of presents under the tree. I don't really need this for Christmas. <laughs> Kayla just melted right there in the grocery store until Avery said, I need it right now. <laughs> Matthew tells us in the story of Jesus why he came. We have a sin problem. You shall name him Jesus. He came to earth because sin would keep us out of heaven. John mentioned a few moments ago about the wages of sin, Romans 6, 23. The wages of sin is death. So the Bible says, simple but profound truth, only a sinful man should die. Only a sinless man could die as our substitute. But there was no one sinless until Jesus came. So at Bethlehem, Mary gave birth to a son who is fully God and fully man and fully willing to take away our sin. 
He was to be called Jesus. See, what makes Christianity different from every other world religion is that at its core, it's what God does for us. That's where we start. That's the good news. That's who Jesus is. That's why he came. What God does for us, not what we do for God. Romans 8, 31, 32. You probably have this verse highlighted. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. How will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Jesus coming is God's way of saying, I am for you. I want you to do well. 1 John 4, 9 and 10. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. And this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. At some level, in all this chaos and this unexpected news, Joseph came to understand what was going on. And get this, as good of a man as he was, a just man, faithful to the law, he understood being a good man wasn't good enough. And I thought about that, how, how often we get that mixed up in our thinking even today. That I'm good enough, therefore I'm saved. Or I'm so bad that there's no way I can be saved. Both of those are lies. The only way we're saved is because God is for us. And God sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Joseph named him Jesus. Because somehow... This good man understood. Number two, Joseph understood that God with us is good news. It was never God's desire to have a long distant relationship with his children. So look again at verses 22 and 23 and notice this was the plan prophesied all along. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord has spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son. They shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. The birth of Jesus says that the God who is above longs to be with. Max Lucado has such a way with words. He shared this. In the aftermath of September 11, 2001, a group of religious leaders was invited to the White House to come to Washington and, pay, and pray with the president. How my name got on the list, who knows? But I was happy to oblige. 30 or so of us were seated in a room did I feel like a minnow in a whale's world? Hardly. I was special among them. And when my turn came to meet George W. Bush, I had to mention why. After giving my name, I added, and Mr. President, I was raised in Andrews, Texas. Locato writes, Andrews is only half an hour drive from Midland, his hometown. Upon learning we are neighbors, he hitched his britches and smiled that lopsided smile and let his accent draw ever so slightly. Why, I know your town. I've walked those streets. I've even played on your golf course. I stood a tad taller. It's nice to know the most powerful man in the world has walked my streets. And then Max said, how much nicer to know the same about God. Verse 23, the prophet Isaiah, they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. Notice, 
It doesn't say his name was not God was with us. Same promise is true today. The very Holy Spirit of God can live within us, even in the worst of times. See, the good news does not mean that those who believe will never experience bad news. But it does mean God understands. It helps us to know that God will help us to know we don't have to fear. God is with us. When the bad news comes, when we find ourselves at the hospital or the funeral home or in divorce proceedings or in prison, God understands. He knows. He will never leave you. Hebrews 13, 5 and 6, for he has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. So we can say confidently, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear. What can man do to me? See, good news is not the absence of trouble. It's the presence of God. And Joseph's world was turned upside down. Mary was, as Matthew said, it found to be with child. What the angel was doing is not really changing the circumstances at all. He was changing Joseph's perspective about what was happening. And that he would have a key role to play. And that's the third thing. I want to make sure you get this. Joseph was able to understand God through us is good news. I was studying through this text, preparing for the lesson. I was reading about some things that I don't think about much. Maybe you don't as well. But think about for a moment. Obedience costs Joseph. Obedience costs Joseph the future he had planned. He was going to have the usual celebratory wedding. He and his wife Mary were going to be honored by their families and their friends. It was going to be a wonderful time. He'd been working all through the betrothal period, getting a place to live. He was doing his best to work hard, making sure his business was good, that he could provide for a family. He had expectations. He had dreams. All of this he was planning. But obedience cost Joseph the future he had planned. But that same obedience allowed Joseph to be a part of God's plan. Joseph was told by an angel of the Lord in a dream that this bad news is really good news. And Joseph was given the opportunity to be a part of God's amazing plan. And we have the same opportunity for God to work through you. John Bennett mentioned in his prayer, by opening our eyes to see those opportunities where we can give that word of kindness and and share our own generosity and just be there for people, to support people. See, the test of how we are responding to this same challenge is this. If you occupy your life, we talk about it a lot this time of year with the busyness. Let's focus on what's really important. That's not just a December challenge. That's a life challenge. But when we get so consumed with this life, with temporary stuff, don't be shocked if you're unable to handle when the bad news comes, when the doctor's office calls you with bad news, or your end of the year review ends up with a pink slip, or the police knocks on the door about your teenager, Jesus offers fulfillment that you can't find in a box or under a tree. 
Joseph obeyed and shows us exactly what Jesus was saying. A very hard statement, but Matthew 16, 25, whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Didn't Joseph do just that? All of his dreams, all of his hopes, all of his plans, Joseph lost his life for Jesus. And think about this. We have no record of Joseph speaking. But his life is a sermon. So much to learn from. We have no record that people came to understand his decisions. But history and eternity helps us to see how he made the right choice. Incredible obedience. Good always trumps bad whenever a person chooses to welcome Jesus. For many years, Ann Phoenix would give me a copy of the Guidepost Magazine Annual Edition. Got a whole pile of them in my office. And I mean more to me now than ever. Let me share a story from Guidepost about Wallace Perling. Several years ago, this is in 1966, this story was original. Wallace was nine years old and in second grade. Well, slow of mind, slow of movement. So the story says here, he's the one that when they chose up teams, he was chosen last. Little Wally desperately wanted to be in the Christmas play, but even the director knew that would be a challenge. What role do you give him? So he was given the role of the innkeeper because there were not many lines to mess up. Surely Wally could do that, especially with some help. So the night of the play, an usually large crowd was there, which made little Wally all the more nervous. The scene opened as Joseph was guiding little Mary to the inn, knocked on the door. Wally swung the door open. What do you want? We seek lodging. Wally looked straight ahead as he was speaking. The inn is full. Joseph said, sir, we've asked everywhere. We've traveled very far and we're very tired. Wally keep looking straight ahead said, there's no room in the inn for you. Joseph pleaded, please, good innkeeper, this is my wife, Mary. She's with child. Surely you may have a corner, some corner for her to rest. For the first time, little Wally looked at Mary. And there's that long pause that every adult at a child's program gets very nervous. <laughs> so there's a little voice from the side of the stage telling Wally his lines, no, be gone. No, be gone. So little Wally says, no, be gone. Because that was the cue for Joseph and Mary to walk away. And they did. But little Wally was into it now. And as Joseph and Mary were sadly walking away, tears just filled his eyes. And that Christmas program became like no other. And Wally said, don't go, Joseph. Come back, Mary. You can have my room. Some people thought, they had ruined the play, but most thought it was the best play ever. Because even though he missed his lines, he got the message. And that's what we need to get when we read the story. In a world full of bad news, Jesus is good news. We've all received bad news. And if I may say so, you're going to receive some again. It's going to happen. But we are not unequipped we all know that God is still for us, and God is still with us, 
And God still wants to work through us that come what may, he can take whatever it is and work through his plan. Joseph missed the picture-perfect wedding and the future he had planned. I don't think he regretted it. I think he knew he made the right choice. Earlier we shared Romans 6, 23, for the wages of sin is death. That's bad news. But that was just part of the verse. The rest of the verse goes like this. The free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus, our Lord. That's the good news. <laughs> our song of invitation is to encourage you to say yes to that good news, that free gift. God wants you to have eternal life through Jesus. He came to take away your sin problem. Do you believe Jesus is the Son of God? Are you ready to confess that? Let he make you a new creation as he washes you clean in baptism. You can have the gift of the Holy Spirit, God living in you. That invitation is yours. Or if we can pray for you, won't you come as we stand and sing? To